Hello, and welcome to another Real Estate with Wendy podcast. Today in the booth with me, as always, is our engineer, Gene. We got a little something different for us to try today. Okay, what's that? We have a plethora of emails that have come in since we started advertising our Real Estate Wendy podcast at gmail.com. So how about we just kind of off the cuff, I read them, you answer. That sounds like a great idea to me. All right. Let me pull up the screen here. The first one is from Jim S. Where can I find a list of tax auction properties in my area? Okay, so that is going to depend on what county you live in. It's going to be different for every county here in Georgia, and I'm speaking only for Georgia because each state does it just a little bit differently. Whereas in Georgia, we have what we call tax deeds. In other states, they may be called tax liens or something else altogether. Anyways, you can find a list of these auctioned properties in several places, one of which, and the primary place that you get told to look is either A, online these days, or B, in your local newspaper. There is a different newspaper that is generally a free newspaper, that they advertise in once a month, and it's going to be for the last four weeks prior to the coming up auction. So it'll be in your newspaper, a list of these auction properties that are available. And you'll have to check and research each and every one. You'll have to check for several different things. Of course, you'll want to make sure that the property is still available. Don't make the same mistake I did and go there thinking you have properties to bid on. And then at the last minute, they came in and they paid those taxes and then no longer available. That's one place to find them. Another place to find them is to call your local county's tax commissioner. This is not going to be generally the same office as like the tax assessor. You're going to need to call the tax commissioner. The tax commissioner is either going to tell you where, what newspaper to look in to find the list, or they're going to tell you, oh, you can go to this particular website, you can go to this. Sometimes they'll tell you, I'll email you the list, or I'll send you the list. Again, that's another place to look for them. I always start there. I call them up and I ask them, where can I find that list? And then they'll point me in the right direction. If it's something that's only available in the newspaper, they'll tell me, you look in so-and-so paper. All right. Well, that one felt pretty easy. I guess people walk up to you and ask kind of these kind of questions all the time, maybe. Oh, yeah. I get asked. Uh, Here's another question. Where can I find off-market deals? Oh, there are so many places and so many ways to find the off-market deals. One way that I I would recommend that you find them is through wholesaling. There are wholesalers out there, and that's all they do. Generally, either off-market deals properties that are not in the best condition. These are the ones that wholesalers deal with. These are the ones that are going to be all investors are interested in. So that's one way is through wholesalers. Another way I would say to find off-market deals is through your family and your friends. You're going to hear about different family and friends telling you, oh, I'm thinking of selling my house. Oh, I'm thinking of moving out of town, or I'm thinking of doing this or that, or my husband's job got, you know, sent to another state. There are a million reasons why people that own property now need to sell their property and quickly. Normally when you have to do it quickly, when there's a certain need there, a certain urgency there, these are the properties that are generally not in the best condition. They've been lived in a while or sometimes not lived in at all. I've 
got a friend and this property, no one lives there right now. I know about this deal because it is something that I had interest in. It is in LaGrange in an area that is on the lake. I heard about this particular deal through a friend. Of course, not an on-market deal because it wasn't even supposed to be for sale at that time. It was something that was just a hypothetical. But again, your friends will tell you what's going on if you just listen. Same thing with family. Your family might come to you first. I've told this story before about my grandfather selling his house to me. He came to me first because I asked him first. I said, hey, when it comes time, let me get the option to to buy this house before anybody else, before it goes on the market, before you do anything, come to me first and I want to be the one who buys it. That's another way. There are, of course, online, not on MLS, but online deals that you can find, say, for example, on Marketplace or on Craigslist or on Zillow or on any number of for sale by owner. You can Google and find lots and lots of websites that you can look on to find off-market deals that could be a good deal. It all depends on running the numbers and finding out what's going to be your best. Before the podcast today, I grabbed a sandwich from a sandwich shop I go to a good bit, but I was grocery shopping first. So I came up the back way and, uh, you know, not a highly traveled way. And I saw this house on a corner that its um, architecture is very Tex-Mex. And I saw the back of the roof was falling in. You know, maybe took that corner a little slower just to check out that property. It is a tiny, tiny, very odd architecturally for this area house. And I just kind of blew it off. But I felt a little driving for dollars might find me a nice wholesale deal. And about three houses up, I noticed an old um, teacher when I was in middle school. She lived in this house, a small little brick bungalow, and all the grass was grown up, all the bushes. And then, and this is right behind the sandwich shop I always go to. And I thought, boy, if these were just in a little bit nicer area, I might want to research this. But I assume that's a good way to find wholesales too, is driving for dollars. Well, you bring up a very good point and one that I did not mention. Driving for dollars, and that's, you know, one of those real estate terms that unless, I guess unless you're in this, it's not one that you hear a lot and you may not know what it is. Driving for dollars is when you're out there in the world, whether you're going to the grocery store, whether you're going to church, whether you're going to your friend's house, wherever you may be going in life, you're always looking and paying attention to your surroundings, paying attention to the properties that have tall grass, boarded up windows, nobody's lived in in a while, and you can tell that nobody's lived in. They look dilapidated. Maybe the roof is falling in. Crazy conditions sometimes. So yes, these are going to be the properties that are going to be the wholesale properties perhaps, and the ones that need to be researched and investigated. You write down those addresses, you're off to the races. Now you're wholesaling. Well, this segues nicely to our next question, which I guess you probably already just answered most of it, but how do I know which properties are good investments? Oh, it's very, very simple. This is just the easiest thing in the world to answer. Okay, so there are some mathematical equations, and they're usually very easy mathematical equations. Let's say, for example, if the house is worth 100000 the way it sits, if you were to be on market, on the MLS, and this were to be in a retail situation where there's going to be multiple people looking and seeing it, therefore maybe raising the demand a little, raising the price a little. This is not that situation. This is a property that's sitting empty, vacant, nasty, old, dilapidated. If it's worth a hundred grand the way it sits currently, then what you're going to want to do is get it for 50 grand the way it sits currently. This way you have plenty of wiggle room when it comes to the remodeling, the repairs, how much it may indeed cost. These nasty old houses tend to be more 
than what you thought initially because unless you start figuring out real quick to add more to your budget than you thought, the hidden things, when you start pulling them apart, oh my gosh, it gets real ugly real quick. And it's usually involving like plumbing and electrical if it's not rotten joists and major like framing type situations. You're going to want to make sure that you have already cut 50% off the price to, I guess, maybe mentally prepare for these things because you know they're coming. That's how I like to do it. So getting a good deal by this 50% off doesn't necessarily mean it has working plumbing, it has working electrical. You're just looking for that 50% off and then you go from there. Right. Again, it's 50% off of what it's worth right now, the way it sits in that disastrous condition. Again, once you fix it up, this means if you got it for 50 grand, let's say that after it's all fixed up and it's in perfect condition, that it's going to be worth 150 grand. And how do we know that? Because other types of properties in this neighborhood, in this condition, all fixed up and remodeled, brand new, because you're going to have to tear everything apart to the studs and start over brand new nine times out of 10. And when you do that, you're completely going to a brand new type situation. Like all these upgrades mean it's almost like new again. So you can jack that price way back up to the tippity top. Whereas if you're looking at comps in the neighborhood that are the same size, same bedroom, same bath, same square footage, but they're in, say, the 90s. It still works. Everything's in good shape, but it needs major remodeling in order to be brought current. Then that's not going to be worth as much. Maybe that's the $100,000 comp that we would have, or maybe it'd be more like $120,000. You look at the comps, you find out the condition that they're in, and you go from there. Well, that was courtesy of Amy S. And now we're on to Paul K. Who should I team up with? if anyone. So maybe he's wanting to be a Wendy himself. So I get this question a lot as well on social media, through my investor friends, and through total strangers walking up to me. This is a very common dilemma. And I would say, number one, it's going to depend on the deal. If you have a deal that you can do all by yourself, you can manage it financially, you have all of the assets that you need to get going and stay to the very end, you have all of the materials, you have everything that you need, you have your team in place, then I would say, yeah, go ahead and do it on your own if the deal allows for that type of situation. However, most deals are not quite that cut and dry. Some deals are very complicated. And oftentimes, I will try to seek out not just any partner if I'm going to partner up, but I want to seek out a partner that's going to bring something to the table that I do not already possess. For example, I tell you these stories. Um, In this one story I've told previously, an investor of mine partnered up on a particular property. It was because he had the materials and the tools and the knowledge of how to do plumbing and electrical that at the time I didn't possess. It made a lot of sense to me to partner with him because I had knowledge of real estate type things. I could put it back on the market. I could list it. I could do all sorts of things that he couldn't do. But together, we made a great team on that particular deal. It depends on the deal, and it depends on who you're partnering with. In some situations, partnering is a great idea because there's a meeting of the minds that two like-minded people get together, help each other, complement each other, and they work together very well. And then I've been in other situations and other partnerships where it was much more difficult. There was a power struggle, and for no reason at all, (laughs) just 
because some people try to be in control. It's fine for me. I'm just like, okay, whatever. The contract still says 50-50. So you know what I mean? (laughs) You're not really in charge of anything, but I'll go ahead and let you think so. I don't really like partnering with people that I can't have a complete like-minded situation going on because then there is either a power struggle, a money struggle, creative concepts struggles. It just never ends. I'm reminded of a time where I was doing just a job. This has nothing to do with flipping or real estate or whatever. It has to do with property management. I was called. The hot water heater broke. The first floor bedroom was flooded and it was carpet. We had to go in, we had to get rid of all the carpet, all the padding, and then bring back in, decide what type of flooring to bring back in. And I said, well, you know, since it costs thousands to relocate the hot water heater, and this could happen again, why don't we put waterproof flooring in? Something that is going to be more durable. Something that when the hot water heater busts, you just mop it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no real issue. So um, that's what we did. We decided to install this flooring. Well, the owner says, can you install it? And I'm like, oh, good grief. Yes, yes, I do know how to do that. I can, I can do that. So I told them a price that was way more reasonable than them going to the flooring store and hiring a professional to do it. And of course, I told them, I'm just going to have to do this in my leisure time. It's not like you're going to be getting this same day. It'll probably take me two or three days, but I'll definitely get it done. And it's the snap together stuff that's so easy to do. So I did the job. I did it for a reasonable price because I'm not the professional flooring company. I'm just Wendy. And it looked great. It was wonderful. This is something that I'm here to tell you doing that particular job, I enlisted someone. I enlisted a what I thought was a knowledgeable partner who could easily help me knock this out in just one or two days. Well, as it turned out, that power struggle I was telling you about ensued on this particular job. He thought that he had more knowledge than me, so he proceeded to tell me what I could and could not do, and he proceeded to tell me how to use the power tools, which I've been using power tools for, you know, 20, 30 years, and none of them are new to me. I've used them all and proficiently. For him to try to tell me how to use tools and how to, I just giggle thinking about it because it was so funny. And I would just sit here like, really? You know, you think I don't know how to use this saw or that particular thing? It just dumbfounded me. And I got very frustrated dealing with this person and decided I am never working with this person ever again. I don't like dealing with the power struggles. I dealt with it for the job just to get it completed and let him take the lead and let him do all of the things that he wanted to do his way as long as they were being done right. Some of the things that he had in mind were totally wrong and I just had to do it my way anyways. Never would I joint venture with someone that I'm not like-minded with. If we can't work cohesively and staying friends with one another, staying nice to one another throughout the whole time. I don't think I want to work with you. I think I'll work with someone else instead, someone that can keep it on a professional level, someone that understands that we both bring different things to the table, whereas I may have my strong suits. I have weaknesses as well. And whereas my partner has strong suits, they too have weaknesses. And let's hope that we're well matched and we can help each other out because that's what really the partnership is all about. You have to keep in mind that when one person succeeds, you both succeed. And when one person fails, you both fail. Pick strong partners and pick partners that are going to complement your weaknesses. 
So where do you find these people? Where do you find these joint ventures? Oh, they'll come to you. They'll come to you on social media. They'll come to you through your friends. Your friends will come up to you and ask you, hey, could you do this with me? Hey, in fact, I know, I think that you personally know someone who has done real estate things in the past. And should this person approach you, I'm sure that you would be interested in doing something with that particular friend. You guys would be entering a joint venture. And I think that they come in lots of different forms, whether it be your friends, your family, whether it be someone approaching you and asking you a question about something, whether it be something in your personal business, like some people have day jobs. And for those people who have day jobs, someone at work may say, hey, I heard you've gotten into investing. Could you answer this question for me? Could you help me with this particular thing or that particular thing? Well, what they're saying is, hey, I need help let's partner up. They may not know it yet, and you may not know it yet, but trust me, that could be a joint venture brewing. All right, here's another one from Adam A. What are some basic things to remember as an investor? Ooh, basic things to remember as an investor. There's a lot. There's a lot of basic things to remember. Let me just go through a couple, and then I'll hit on them a little more. The number one rule, I'm sure everyone has heard it, buy low, sell high. That's pretty simple, pretty basic. You always want to, when you're investing, you want to buy properties at the lowest possible price, and that way you know that it's only up from there. If it's already at a discount, if it's already at the lowest price, then even in a down market, even if the market continues to drop, you know that you still have a secure investment. So that's going to be probably the most important. Next, I would say maybe the 50% rule. If it's worth 100000 you don't pay more than 50000 and hopefully even less. Hard to do, though. Just try to stick with 50. I'd say another very, very, very important part of being an investor and being successful is going to be building your team, building not just any team, but the right team for you. My team may not work for someone else. My team works well for me and for my personality and for my level of busyness. I have to have people around me that I can truly trust. When I send the HVAC man to go do an HVAC job, I have to know that he's not swindling me. He's not making up crazy stuff. He's not trying to feed me a load of whatever and have me pay for things that I shouldn't have to pay for. Honesty is very, very, very important for me. Whereas for someone else who's maybe a little bit more Rockefeller or Donald Trumpish, someone who's, you know, got many, many, many years of success, maybe honesty isn't their number one concern. Maybe it's something else like getting better deals. Find what you need in your team, in your company, and make that work for you. Find the people that work for you best. Again, there's going to be so many of them, but you're going to need to vet them all. You're going to need to make sure that you do proper research when you're finding local contractors, your local realtors, your local attorneys. These are the people you're going to use a lot. As an investor, you're going to be buying properties. You're going to need a really good real estate attorney, a good closing attorney, someone who deals with also things like trust, probate, wills, and things of that nature. These are things that investors talk to their attorneys about every day. So uh, finding a good one, I've got one in my local area, but again, my local area is not going to be your local area. And the way I found mine was word of mouth. I had another real estate investor locally who said, oh, I've been using this particular attorney for a long time. They're local 
and they're very reasonably priced. And so I got to doing some research and I found out these are some of the power hitters. These are some of the people that are number one in not just that county, but surrounding areas. They teach real estate classes to real estate agents like me in the local area. And I was shocked to know that my closing attorney is also doing education. So that means they have to be super, super, super knowledgeable in order to teach the real estate classes and to have those count for class credits. But I've been using that particular closing attorney ever since. Again, something that a friend told me about and had used many, many times. I did my own research. I did my own vetting. And again, lo and behold, they showed up in front of me teaching me a real estate class on closing attorneys and that sort of thing, Um, trusts and wills and deeds. Vet your team is going to be, find your team, vet your team, build your team is going to be another good one. Another important part of being a successful and being basic things to remember, you're going to have to find yourself, and pronto, you're going to have to find a good tax type preparer. H&R Block may work for some people or some of these tax preparers, but some of these may work, maybe not the bigger your company grows the more you're going to need a very skilled, knowledgeable tax preparer, um, someone to do your state and federal taxes for you and hopefully get you down to like zero. It's every investor's dream to live at zero and to have any taxes that they have to pay at all. And there are ways to do it and do it legally. And again, perhaps if you find a good one, your tax preparer can tell you what direction to go in and how you need to do those things. Another thing that you need to keep in mind is knowing your market. You're going to have to dive in and know your market and know how much things are buying for, how much things are selling for, how much things are renting for of the actual percentage of things that are out there are actually selling, how many of them are not selling, how many of them are being withdrawn or no longer on the market. You need to know what's going on. Is the market going up, down, sideways, inside out? Maybe we'll talk about that in another podcast. Maybe I should do one about knowing based on what's going on at that time, whatever time it is, here's the trends that you need to watch for to know if the market's going up or down or if it's doing this or that. These are important things to know. And last, I think I'll, I'll stop with knowing your competition. This is also very important. You're going to want to do some research and you're going to want to know who the other investors are out there in your local community. The big ones, the little ones, the ones that are going to be your direct competitors are the ones that I would focus on. I'm the little guy on the totem pole who likes to stay in my own lane. I focus on other investors that are also local to their communities like I am while still growing and branching out into other counties and other other areas that is in this little bubble of maybe one hour out. Those type of people are the ones that I focus on. And my competition often becomes my friends. (laughs) My competition often becomes my JV deals. For example, going to the tax sale, we like to figure out what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish. Even though I have these goals, you know, you may have those goals over here. Okay, well, I'm going to do this. Don't hinder me. You're going to do that. I won't hinder you. Even if we're not directly working together, don't just know your competition. Communicate with them at critical moments so that you can work better together or independently. 
doesn't always mean doing a team up or a joint venture, but sometimes that works out better, sometimes it doesn't. Just know what it is that you need to do in your situation. Answering listener questions, I think, has worked out very well, but I think we're going to have to save some of these for another week. That sounds like a good idea, too. You guys keep sending in all of your questions to me at realestatewindypodcast at gmail.com. I will answer all of your questions on air again. Just send them on in. 